Planning a spring break getaway? Well, with the Capital One Venture Card, you earn unlimited double miles on any purchase you make today and every day. And those miles add up to get you closer to that trip to paradise. Every vanilla soy latte, double miles. Every time you pump gas, double miles. Even when you buy a set of Monogram Beach Towels, yep, double miles. You earn unlimited double miles on every purchase, and then you go. The Capital One Venture Card, the card that takes you there. What's in your wallet? Capital One Bank USANA. What are we going to do as a church? Our souls need to wake up. We need to respond to the gospel of Jesus. He said, go into the world. We don't want to deal with reality, Christian. We don't even want to deal with reality even though we've been saved from this place. I'm calling on you today in the name of Jesus to rise up to the call of God. Christ is coming back soon. If I start telling people about hell, I might just scare them off. Where are you going to scare them off to? Hell number two? People stop and think about it. If hell really exists, and it does, I didn't say that Jesus did. Then don't you think people need to know about it? Can't you at least give them a fighting chance? Or are you just going to sit there and let them burn? Welcome to Don't Let Them Burn. This is Chris and my partner, Rory. Rory, are you there? Yes, sir. I'm here. All right. So tonight, we got special guests, Thomas Dunn and Jared Cressman. And we're going to be talking about their DVD, The Testable. But before that, you can reach us at www.dontletthemburn.com. You can also reach us on vid.me, scene.live, Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram. And I'm sure I'm forgetting something. (laughs) But check us out on YouTube. YouTube is where we have most of our content. Basically, we put our videos and our uh, the pictures to kind of follow along with the conversation. And we have interviews. We just came from Here to Watch Men Dallas, and it was a pretty interesting conference. We got a ton of interviews on YouTube, so check that out. Um, Rory, anything you want to say before we continue? Yes, I just want to say that um, first and foremost, I, I don't know if um, I know some of your longtime listeners, some of the people haven't been listening. What are we about? You know, you hear, uh, don't let them burn. What are we about? We're here um, to tell you about the truth of Jesus Christ, that, you know what, the only way that you can be saved, saved, what do you mean by being saved? Being saved means being called from the darkness or being saved from death, being saved from damnation to come to know who Jesus Christ is, is by showing you what the word of God is about. And that's what, that's what we're here to do. We are here to share with you the importance of God's word. We're here to share with you some of the things that we have come across in um, just everyday living. And that's what we're here about. So we're here to tell you about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you'll be drawn to who he is and that you can be saved. And by doing so, we're going to just expose some of the works of darkness that are out there that are, I would use the word, Chris, I would use a word like crippling or might be hounding or stopping people from coming to know the truth of who Christ is. He's the only way and the truth and the life, and he's able to set people free. That's what we're about in a nutshell. I don't know if you have anything else to say, Chris. You know, you said it all, dude. (laughs) So it's just we're in some desperate times. We're in some dark times, but at the same time, the only light at the end of the tunnel is Jesus Christ, as you just eloquently told. So, you know, if you want to start us off in a word of prayer, we could just get right into it. We got a lot of ground to cover. Absolutely. Let's go ahead. 
Dear Lord God, we just want to thank you for this day. We just want to thank you for your word, O oh Lord God. And Lord God, we just want to thank you, dear Lord God, that only by you, by you, that we can be set free. The word of God said that Jesus Christ had to lay his life down that we would be grafted in or that we could be saved. He was the, there's a word that is used, propitiation. He was the price that was paid for our sin, that we could be redeemed, our lives could be redeemed from destruction. And he said in his word that he crowns us with his loving kindness and his tender mercies. So, Lord God, today we just ask you, dear Lord God, as we we seek to delve into some things that, um, some areas that most Christians don't normally go into, dear Lord God, we ask for the covering of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask the covering of the Lord Jesus Christ on our families, oh Lord God. We ask that you cover us on the, the blood of Jesus Christ. Like you said in your word, he that dwells in the secret place. Lord God, we Dwell in your secret place. You said also that we shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty, that we are hidden in Christ, in God, that we are separated, we are joint heirs, we are called apart, we are set apart, O Lord God. And we are just asking you that you hedge us, that you protect us, that you keep us under the shadow of the Almighty. We pray for our families, we pray for the young men that are going to be coming in, that are listening even now, that we are going to share in the, the things, the wonderful things that you are doing, Lord God, to set people free. And we thank you and we praise you. We pray that no retaliation, no reprisal, that, Lord God, we are just dwelling or we are just hidden in you, in God. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Uh, so uh, I watched the DVD, The Testable, today, and it was pretty um pretty interesting uh some of the some of the information i knew and other is the testimonies and some of the archive footage that they put into the dvd that was very enlightening to see that none of this is new and and like the bible said none of it is new and you see all of this stuff going on in the british isles we we did our show on halloween and we talked about a lot of these issues right rory and yes yes we did but um with halloween and and and, and some of these other um these pagan days or these pagan high holy days and, and some of the things that go on there and how we would say, Chris, some of the, in the church are oblivious to what's actually yeah. going on. Yeah. And so guys, if you want to check out the DVD, it's called detestablefilm.com. And you can also check out the YouTube channel through the black. So now we're going to bring our guests in as we move on with the show. So, Tom and Jared, how you doing? Hey, how you guys doing? Doing, doing good, Chris. How are you doing? Yeah, good to, good to be on with you guys tonight. Thanks for having us. All right, sure thing. Great to have you, and I think we're going to have a really interesting conversation here. So let's just get right into it. What, what was your influence? I mean, I, I kind of it's pretty obvious, but I, I still want you to tell us, what is your influence in doing this film? I've been wanting to do this film for over over eight years, and... I got the idea originally to um, to make this film, but I, I wasn't really interested in the uh, evangelism aspect of it. I was more interested in the um, the idea that it was going to uh, frighten people, and I wanted to make mm. a movie that was going to frighten people. This was this was eight years ago when I first discovered uh, Russ Dizdar 
I thought, wow, I said, you know, Hollywood makes movies about this all the time, but I've never heard any stories as frightening as what Russ Dizdar tells because his stories are real. Those are all made up stories. So I thought, mm. wow, we could, uh, we could make a movie here. And, and my idea was let's make a movie to scare people, you know? And I didn't know what I was getting into at the time. I just, you know, mm. I thought this guy's, this is a, you know, a credible guy. He, he seems like he's sane. He's not crazy. And he's telling crazy stories. So I contacted Russ and I said, Hey, I want to make a movie about the things you talk about. He got back with me and he said, if you want to make a movie, he said, research this. And then he'd send me stuff. And he said, research this. And he kept sending me stuff to research. Instead of making the movie, I began to work with him and I began to take his courses and my life pretty much was flipped upside down. And I dove, I dove deeper into spiritual warfare and I just completely realigned my life with the scriptures and spiritual warfare and learned about the full armor, all the stuff I knew, but I never had any strategy. So I really learned how to apply it to my life. And I began to overcome things in my life and began to uh, get stronger and work, actually work with Russ Dizdar and go out on That was never my intention. But that's what happened. And then after so many years, came back to the idea. I was like, this movie needs to get made. And I think I'm the person to do it now because I'm the one with the experience, you know, with Russ, you know, seeing this stuff firsthand. And I have a little bit of knowledge of how to make a film. So after a long, long time, uh, it happened. And, and, you know, it was the Lord that laid it on my heart. uh, There's no way I could have done it. He, He commissioned it. He told me to do it. And I kept uh, testing, you know, him. And I'm like, Lord, are you sure? Are you sure you want me to do this? And he said, yes. And then I would check again. And I said, are you sure? And he would say yes again and yes again. So we did it uh, from start to finish. I got a hold of Jared. And I said, hey, I'm going to make this movie. He said, I'm going to support you. I'm going to help you do it. And uh, we did it. And we we did it with a very low amount of money. And we did it in a very um, quick amount of time. It was probably about... It was less than nine months from start to finish, and we did it with less than uh, $8,000 about, which is really cheap and really fast. But that's wow. just testi- testimony to the Lord was involved in making this film. Right. 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 Wow. Um, I'm amazed. So I, I see that the Lord had a, had a plan all the time for your life when you thought you were just going to make a movie. He was going to um, basically change your life. Right. Yeah. Amazing. You know what? Um, You just started and you said something, and I think this will just sort of set the premise for what we will be dealing with, what we'll be talking about tonight. We're going to just go into Ephesians. We're going to look at Ephesians uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to about, I would say, 18. And I'm going to read, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of this darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that uh, you will be able to stand or withstand in the evil day, having done all, Stand, stand. Therefore, having your loins girded with truth, uh, and the truth is Jesus Christ. Having 
the breastplate of righteousness, walking righteously, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, making sure that we are know the gospel, know how to share God's word. All, um, above all, taking the shield of faith, that's belief, and you shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, is, which is the word of God. And you said something a while ago, the last part, you said, praying always with all power and supplication in the spirit and watching whereunto um, will all perseverance, um, perseverance and supplication for all the saints. I think that that just sort of ties up the whole thing about what you're going to be talking about tonight, being fully prepared with the armor of the Lord. So continue sharing, my brother. Well, um, no, and that scripture in um, in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, I mean, we, we could spend days just uh, tearing that down and looking at that and uh, analyzing it and learning so much from it. But I think about when I grew up, I started studying prophecy and started studying spiritual warfare when I was about 12 years old. But I, I didn't really have a, I didn't really have a teacher. I, I would, I would read song lyrics and find songs about spiritual warfare. Then I would, I would study it and I would find it in the Bible and things like that. And there was always an element of fear in that before. And when I began studying with Russ, I, um, I begin to learn that we have authority and we can come with boldness. Not that it there's, any, not there's, there's anything with us, but when we understand that uh, we have authority in Christ and the spirit of God, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead uh, lives in us. And he, you know, he's given us a badge of authority. I believe it's, um, what am I thinking? Uh, Mark, Mark chapter 10 and uh, Absolutely. Uh, snakes and scorpions, you know, uh, we trample on them. It doesn't say that we step on them or we kick them out of the way or we 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 run around them. It says we trample on them. We trample on yeah. them. You know. And I used to just, uh, you know, what I would do, which is it's a powerful thing, but I would say it in fear. I plead the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, and, and that that's that's real. But I, I would say it in fear and not in boldness and not in power and not with any kind of victory. So um, I, I just. Uh, you know, again, taking Russ's courses, things change for me, and uh, really beginning uh, to understand all of these spiritual warfare uh, scriptures, you know, and understanding Second uh, Corinthians uh, 10, verse 4, uh, understanding, um, you know, Old Testament scriptures. I think of uh, book, the book of Daniel when Daniel prayed and the angel was dispatched, but he got held up, you know, by the prince of Persia. And, you know, we, we wonder, you know, what holds our prayers up sometimes. So just having a, a big, you know, overview and understanding these things like never before. I always, uh, when I meet new people, I always point them back to Russ's teachings. And, you know, there's a lot of great teachers out there, and Russ is just one of those teachers. And I mention him because he's a good teacher, and he has the, he has the gift of teaching. And um, his stuff is all free, That you know, also. He used to charge... 75 to a hundred dollars for these courses that he gives away for free now. And these are like college level courses. Some of them are 15 to 24 hours and he gives notes with them. So I just mentioned that for anybody out there who's seeking, who wants to, um, you know, who wants to learn more, who wants to become strengthened. You know, the first course that I took was called um, confronting the powers 
It's a free course on uh, shatterthedarkness.net. And I took that course, and that, that course was a game changer for me. I went into that course as a guy who would go through life and fight the devil and pretty much get beat up all the time. And then I'd go to sleep, you know, wake up the next day, and then get my, you know, butt all day long again. But when I finished that mm. course, I was the one kicking the butt after that. Mm. So because I learned the authority and I learned how to use the, the weapons, you know, of my warfare. You know, they're not carnal, but mighty through the God, through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, taking captive every thought and making it obedient to Christ. So Amen. that's a scripture that I have to have memorized. Because when the enemy comes at me, when he attacks my imagination, when he attacks my mind, I've got to just be able to stand on that word of God. There's so much power in the scripture. So I got to be able to stand on that word of God and I got to remind him and I got to remind myself, this is the truth. Nothing can, um, you know, can move this truth. And uh, the weapons we fight with, you know, are power. Exactly. Exactly. Um, So now a lot of people don't, know what a SRA is, a SRA victim, or what satanic ritual abuse is. Can you give an overview for the audience? Because I'm pretty sure a lot of people just don't know. Sure. Go ahead, Jared. Uh, well, when we refer to somebody as SRA, it's just somebody that has suffered satanic ritual abuse. And that can come, well, I guess, in lots of variances, depending on um, the exact nature of who was doing the abusing and the circumstances that they come from, you know, the, uh, you know, there are lots of different flavors to the occult. So not all satanic ritual abuse is the same, but we refer to anybody that has any form of satanic ritual abuse as an SRA. And um, most of the time when you deal with people who have been traumatized as an SRA, um, we run into um, something called disassociative identity disorder. Um, you'll find that SRA is commonly lumped into the same sentence with the word DID. So you'll see SRA slash DID a lot in this field. And that DID just stands for Disassociative Identity Disorder most of the time. And it it gets kind of complicated, but, you know, the younger a child is when these abuses take place, the easier it is to fracture and create what we call subpersonalities. And so what you have with a lot of SRA victims are these subpersonalities um, that can be cult loyal. They can be programmed. Some of them are just, oper- you know, they're just um, they're just a byproduct of the abuse that created the split. Um, there are lots of degrees and differences in subpersonalities, um, but that's typically kind of the overarching, I guess, information when we talk about someone with SRA. They've got a background where they were abused satanically, and most of the time they have subpersonalities, which makes which makes the deliverance very complicated. Hmm. Question mm. for you. Yeah, that you mm. said that. You know, what what you guys just said um, brings me back to this movie um, that was put out. And I knew something was wrong with the movie. I just knew it. Uh, the movie was Salt. Remember the oh, movie really? where, Angelina yeah, Angelina. I think it was, Andrew, yeah, where she was abused or in some type of place as a young child. And, and when she came of age, certain switches would just flip and the person would just become another person. Um, and, and why I'm saying that, I'm, I'm not saying that this is necessarily the demonic, but what Hollywood tries to do, they're always painting a picture uh, 
for the populace so that they can um, they're they're going to tell you without necessarily telling, um, for lack of a better word, I guess. Sure, they've done lots what, of movies. There was one. There was one called The Manchurian Candidate, which came out years and years and years ago, which had to do with a politician that uh, – it's been a long time since I've seen it. I don't know if I ever even watched the whole thing, but it had to do with a, with programming. You know, it's kind of an empty vessel being used as a tool in politics. Um, you know, you have movies like Salt. You've got that new movie that came out called Split. There was a movie with John Cusack called Identity, which explored the whole nature of the sub-personalities. Um, there was a show on cable called the United States of Tara. And, um, you know, it's just, you, you, you know, not a show that I recommend people watch, but it was about, it was about a housewife who had multiple personalities. It was kind of like a comedy drama. And it was about how the family, you know, uh, how the entire, how the family unit worked around the subpersonalities, how they interacted with not only their mother, but the subpersonalities that she had. And, it's just interesting sometimes when you watch these movies and these shows because whoever's writing the script has a much better understanding of of the uh, the phenomena than most people do. You know, a lot of people watch these shows and they feel like it's just made up for a script, but it's hmm. it's really based in, in in a whole lot of truth and some really weird science. Yeah, yeah you, you guys are just you guys are just trampling all in my notes, man. <laughs> I, you know, I'm glad you know. I'm glad you brought up that you mentioned the movie Salt. And what we're what we call that is uh, trauma-based mind control. Okay, and right. we tried to make and the original plan was to make this movie without touching on that subject. But as I got into the filmmaking and began uh, talking to people you know, looking for candidates to be in the film, we realized we couldn't make the film without bringing this up. And it comes up uh, in several different places. And one is with a, um, with a lady named Kim in the film. And she, uh, she talks about, you know, uh, a lot of her experiences and things that, that happen. Um, this is where the military connection comes in. And, and it's, it's kind of strange to think that, okay, what, what does the military have to do with satanic rituals? Well, um, what we found out is that those lines are really kind of uh, in some places blurred, but they're very clear in other places where we see uh, people who are involved in Satanism um, infiltrating the military, uh, the military using some of the, um, I guess we would say technology that these Satanists, have perfected in uh, in traumatizing children, splitting their minds, and then being able to program them, and then vice versa. You know, uh, the Satanists take it from the military also, and uh, it's just, you know it's it's a dark thing, and they, and they work together in some places. It's not always the case. You know, there's sometimes there's military connections without any you know Satanist, and then and vice versa. But for a big part, it goes hand in hand. And we see them cross over a lot, so that's why we had to put it in the film. Yeah, um, but yeah, yeah. I was going to say that people need to check out the book, uh, Men's, the Men That Stare at Goats, not the movie, the book. The exactly. movie's a exactly. piece that's of trash. Going to go next. So, yeah, and, and so we know that the CIA and, and other organizations are involved in some of this uh, technique, especially when it comes to what they're trying to do now with uh, the transhumanism aspects, the virtual reality. And on and on and on it goes. But, yeah, I, I, I'm going to talk about some of the Hollywood um, implications a little later. Um, but the salt, 
the uh, Born Identity, all these movies. They even have one called uh, I think MK something, MK Ultra something, some some movie that came out. But anyway, this this subject is is darker than people think, and 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 many people don't I, I understand that this is such a reality and it's been going on for so long, on in the underground or 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 in, or in rural communities. And sometimes we find municipalities also wrapped up in some of this. You want to speak about that? Uh, yeah, sure. I, so, well, yeah, I mean, you're just at, you're just kind of asking about how this goes on in the underground, even in, like, local areas and stuff. Is that kind of what you're asking? Yeah, and, and how some of the municipalities, uh, the uh, police, some of them are involved in some, and, and some other aspects too. Go ahead. Yeah, you'll find it's just. Man, that's a that's a broad question because it, which it's a great it's a great question, but it's so you know when you I guess when you start really digging in, you start doing research on this topic. You know, like I'll just use myself as an example. Kind of has the same story. Um, you know, at first it sounds kind of crazy. You know, it's it seems like it's too big of an idea to be true. You know, oftentimes if people don't understand the why of something, they they turn around, you know, why would somebody be doing this is what people ask a lot, you know. And if they don't understand a motive for what's being presented, a lot of times it deters people from actually looking into the subject. But what what Tom and I have done, what people like Russ and, and Greg Reed and, and everybody else has done, is when we actually see evidence in some form or fashion with a case where we realize there's something – even if you're not a, a spiritual person, a lot of people will recognize that there's something of a spiritual nature happening behind the scenes. They'll see the evidence of, you know, I guess because this involves law enforcement a lot, I guess that's kind of what I'm referring to. Is there are lots of law enforcement guys that aren't religious or they don't have relationships with Christ, but yet they realize that this crime was rooted in a spiritual belief of some sort. They see something darker, uh, you know, behind the scenes. But a lot of people, even without being able to identify a motive, you know, when you start doing the research, you'll see evidence, you know, you'll see evidence of something actually having happened. So even if you can't contemplate a why, you know, the evidence is there. And so there are some people that will see the evidence, even if they can't come up with a motive and they'll start to explore it. And and what you find with most stories is that the rabbit hole goes deep. I mean, endless stories of people we've dealt with personally that start to get involved doing research on a local case that involved sexual abuse or, you know, a ritual murder of some sort. They found, you know, ident- identifiable, you know, satanic marks on the body or, the, you know, uh, a ritual, you know, site like an altar with, with uh, you know, very, you know, some, in some cases you'll, you'll see a, a, what they call a power cone, you know, made out of bones or human skulls, you know, that are associated it's in the backyard or something like that of somebody that committed a murder. But none of that ever gets reported, you know, and that's what's so, that's what's, that's what's so mind-blowing when it comes to dealing with the, you know, the municipalities and the local things is you have to dig deeper than the surface always, right? Uh, mainly because right. It's, not a, it's not a crime in the United States to be a Satanist. It's really not. And so, you know, back in the 90s, in the early 90s, the satanic panic was coming to an end. You actually had some states that were changing their laws in regard to satanic crime. And the FBI actually put out a report, I think, in 1992, it was 1991 or 90, 1992, uh, by a guy named Special Agent Kenneth Lanning. And uh, he talked about uh, the fact that it, it became a rule that the satanic components of a crime were not allowed to be brought up in the actual courtroom because it's not a crime to be a Satanist. And so it would, it would do 
it would do justice a disservice if the jury was swayed by facts that weren't illegal that pertain to somebody's belief system, but would maybe give an improper route to a motive. Um, and so but, but, what, what we kind of what we kind of saw was when the FBI started doing a lot of research in these cases, they ended up writing reports that you know they tried to dis they tried to discredit what was really happening, but. You know, even in this report that I'm, I, I reference, um, Special Agent Kenneth Lanning actually admits that there were tens of thousands of phone calls being made to the FBI every uh, every year that reported some form of satanic activity, including ritual murder. And what I found most interesting about that uh, admission in the report was that he was admitting that tens of thousands of people were reporting it. You know, so, mm. you know, that that to me seemed to indicate the biggest amount of evidence for a phenomenon behind the scenes. Because when you have tens of thousands of people that are unconnected, that are calling and reporting activity of a, uh, you know, a dark spiritual nature, you know, always involving some sort of satanic component, um, something might be going on. Now, they, exactly. they came through and the, the False Memory Syndrome Foundation was created to discredit a lot of the kids that were in the – the uh, preschools and stuff that were abused, uh, you know, the the, kind of the system kind of turned on everybody and squashed the movement. And what we saw was law enforcement that was heavily involved in trying to bring awareness. Well, law, let me put it this way. Law enforcement was tracking the uh, – they were tracking the criminal aspect of these satanic crimes. They were chasing the actual murder. They were chasing the abuse. They were chasing the – the sexual abuse, you know, they were chasing the actual crimes, but what they did not understand was that they were going up against those powers and principalities that we read about in Ephesians. And so without that spiritual covering, they were complete. As soon as they started tracking the evidence to uh, military and political, you know, roots, that is when they poked the bear. And what you saw was, the unspoken rule stayed true, and that unspoken rule is that the government uh, does not care what you know. They only care what you can prove, and when the law enforcement were actually gaining ground and gathering enough evidence to put some people away, you saw, some, uh, you saw a very mighty hand come through and begin to dismantle that network with incredible ease. And to this wow. day, there are not many people that are left. And we, we know one of them that was very heavily involved in the inner circle. His name is Greg Reed. He, is, he, is, uh, he was actually in the, in the film Detestable. Um, and that man has done a lot of work uh, as a private investigator and a consultant to law enforcement in, in specific area of ritual occult crime, uh, more so than anybody else I've ever met in my life. And um, Greg saw this firsthand, uh, the dismantling of the network. They actually had – it was a, it was a, it was a multi-agency uh, group. It spanned, it spanned agencies, but it, it, they created a task force, and they had something inside called a CCIN newsletter, which allowed them to share information about cases very easily, and they worked together. And that network was dismantled within a year. And to this day, there are, wow. I think – talking to Greg, maybe three people that are still alive um, that Whoa. were actually a part of that. I could, have, I could have those numbers wrong if I do forgive me, but not many. People were discredited. Some people started going uh, kind of crazy. You know, they really went off the deep end, chasing, chasing uh, other rabbit holes. 
Um, other people, you know, are, are dead now, whether that was, in, you know, purposeful or just they've died of natural causes. No one knows. But it just it was just wow. utterly destroyed. And it's a perfect example of what happens when you go up against this kind of activity without without any spiritual covering. You know, yes, um, um, what you just said, uh, the, the first time I was um, exposed to this, um, it was by uh, a former FBI agent, and he was a whistleblower. He came out with it. I don't know if you know his name, um, Ted Grunderson. Uh, yeah, yeah Grunderson. Dr. Greg, he, he worked with uh, Ted Gunderson on many occasions. So, yeah, like I said, there, right. Greg was inner inner circle with those guys, yeah. And um, when he talked about it or he was telling how um, this thing was uh, far-reaching and, and very um, interwoven, he he was just telling about some of the encounters that he had and how uh, people were threatening his life and, and just different things. And, um, you know, like you said, people would look and, and you they would say something, but you would laugh. But one of the things that I think, um, like you guys said, uh, working with Russ, um, you're able to see real people. And even from the, the, the video that you guys do, the, the movie that you get, you, you're able to see eyewitness testimony of what has transpired in a person's life. And once you see a person talking about um, um, this is the home where we came or this is what happened or, or, or whatever, you know, um, information they're giving, it, it gives it a lot of validity. And um, this is what, you know, people need to know that this is actually, these things are actually out there. Well, and it was a, it was a very hard decision to, nail down exactly who we were going to put in the film. And I'll let Tom talk more about that process. Well, um, you know, we really prayed about it. And uh, when we found a candidate, what Jared and I would do is we would get on the telephone and uh, do a three-way call and kind of do an interview. And then afterwards we would talk together and pray and say, we'd ask the Lord, say, uh, Lord, if this person's not supposed to be involved, uh, give us some sort of red flag or something like that, or, you know, don't allow it to work out. And, you know, there were people that we wanted in the film that, um, that we weren't able to get, you know, for, for example, I wanted to go to Colorado and, um, and interview Dr. Holly Hector, I think her name is, but it just didn't work out, you know, and some other people, we, we even, uh, even interviewed, um, Dale Griffith, who's a uh, retired uh, police officer, one of the most, uh, connected police officers when it comes to occult crimes, you know, ever. And uh, we decided uh, that his, uh, his testimony didn't fit in the film, but um, it's actually in the, uh, in the bonus footage, but we just were real careful about how we, um, how we selected these people in the interviews that we did. And really, again, I just can't say it enough. The Lord really directed this film and he put everything in place and he put, the, the people, you know, uh, right in our path and open the doors. So I can't, you know, if, if it was Jared or I, then, you know, the film probably would have never got, you know, gotten done. But uh, it, it was, yeah. you know, the Holy Spirit that was speaking to us and showing us, you know, um, who to put in and uh, and just how, how to do all that. So, you know, I'm amazed. One of the things that we wanted to do, and we prayed about was going to the UK to cover the Hampstead case. This was a big case at the time. 
And I prayed about it and prayed about it. And uh, I just really felt the Lord telling me not to go, that the film was done and to put it out the way it was. And that's what we did. There was a lot of people upset with us because we didn't cover that case because it was so important. But the thing is, you know, that case stands on its own and our film stands on its own. And both of them complement each other and say, you know, they give credibility to each other. You know, you you can look at the Hampstead case and say, here's a film that has, uh, you know, no part of it in there. And it's verifying the exact same testimonies as what's happening in the UK, you know, a couple of years ago. So, well, and it's kind of been incredible, right? How some doors have even opened up since then that might provide some future, at, you know, abilities for us to cover that better than we probably could have before. Because even now through, a connection that we've made, we've actually made contact with the actual mother of the two children that uh, all three of them were at the center of the Hampstead case, which to me and Tom mm-hmm. is unbelievable that we would have contact with her. It just, it seemed almost too good to be true, but you know, we actually are going to be conversing hopefully on a regular basis very soon and be able to do more with the Hampstead case, which you know, when I look back now, on you can kind of see, yeah, it just wasn't the right time, you know, and it, it you know, maybe now there will be something we can do with it. But it's kind of interesting to see the way God's worked and the opportunities and the doors he's opened since the movie. Yeah. Well, wow. uh, Rory, before, before I move, I got a lot of bullet points to go down. Do you have any questions? Well, well okay, I you know what? I, I, I like to just, I like to, I have some thoughts in my head and uh, I don't know if you young men or you you young men saw the uh, the two Swedish girls because you brought up the UK, so I got to go there. The two Swedish girls that were in the UK and one um, they were twins and one actually committed a murder at the end. And oh, one, Matt, Matt, you talking about madness? Madness in the fast lane? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We're from, we're familiar with it. And um, um, one of the things that that was astonishing, and when I when I I would use that video. In, in some of my um, talks when I'm talking to people and saying, hey, let me show you what it's like when someone is possessed. And even when you interviewed the officers, they would say, man, um, this young lady threw me like a rag doll. Um, how is that possible? You know, um, that was, you know, possible. And I'm not trying to just um, sort of, you know, put emphasis on them. But, you know, people need to know that it's only by the power of Jesus Christ that can stop those things. There's no, Look, nothing you're, else. You're right. Look, there's nothing there's, else that can stop there's that. There's so much, so much to that case with those two girls. It would blow people's minds. You know, that's actually, you know, on, you know, some, you'll find, I don't know that, you know, we have the time to go so far down the, deep down the rabbit hole of subpersonalities, but. Not all subpersonalities are demonized, but some can be. And what we saw with those two girls is we saw a perfect example of what it's like to have to deal with a programmed multiple, okay, where you have subpersonalities that were programmed. That murder you just mentioned, not only did she stab that guy, but she stabbed that guy like 20 times assassin style in the chest. She had yes. that knife bouncing back from her chest into him like an assassin would use a blade. Now, how does a 20-year-old girl know how to use a blade like an assassin would? I mean, she pegged that guy in his vital areas as fast as she could, the exact way you would be trained to do so. You know, those are literally, 
<coughs> oh, excuse me. <coughs> those are those are elements that you run into when you deal with people with program subpersonalities. They have training that goes beyond what the average person's training goes. You know, um, that woman got hit by a truck. You know, she got smacked by a semi truck on the highway that would have put any normal person in the hospital, but she's immediately up afterward, almost seemingly without injury. You know, those, yep. those, those, you know, definitely there's a demonic component to that, but you saw elements too of programming, actual structured programming training that some of those subpersonalities had that were absolutely lethal. It's very, very bizarre and very, very dangerous. Well, now, my other question well, yeah. to you is, <laughs> it, it is. I don't know, Chris. You want to ask a question? Go ahead. I'll just wait. <laughs> well, I have like a good five or six, seven, eight questions. But um, one of the things I noticed here, in some cases, they would have their victims kill the other. Like if if they get two of them together, they'd have one kill the other. Um, I found that very interesting because I guess they're trying to traumatize one of the other victims. Am, am I correct? Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's something that happens. You'll find Russian roulette or variations of Russian roulette are used a lot in the traumatization. You'll find that the, the oh, you know, the, talking about that movie, was it that movie Salt? I don't remember if it was the movie Salt or not. I'm maybe thinking of something else, but um, there, you'll find that there's always a ritual with a uh, ritual is probably a bad word, but there's a form of trauma more than any other that I've ever run into that involves the death of a pet, where they give the child a pet to love, to name, to take care of, they bond, and then they force that child to kill that pet, or they kill that pet over the child. Kingsman. And you'll see even, even you know, Kingsman. Kim yeah. in the movie Kingsman, Detestable, yeah. she, had a, she had a beautiful rabbit named Chimo, and they, 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 they gutted Chimo over the top of her. Um, perfect example of a way to emotionally traumatize a child. Uh, and those, yeah, um, there are darker versions of that, though, that involve things like Russian roulette and, you know, that. Well, the forcible murder, a lot of times, too. Are, are you too familiar with the Hampstead case? Do you Have you ever really looked into that at all? No, no I'm not, not too familiar with it. it. Okay, so is, is today the first time you've heard about it? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. I, well, I might have heard about it, but just go ahead and I'll see. Well, to the, to the point, and I'll let Tom knows more about it than I do, so I'll let Tom explain more about Hampstead. Uh, but specifically, Tom, I guess what I'm bringing up is where the children w- were holding the, the dagger with their father's hands and doing the rituals. You want to talk about Hampstead and, and, and the well, trauma that was involved there? Yeah, uh, we see this all the time, and a lot. this is um, – there's there's many different reasons they do this. One of the reasons is they're trying to train up the next uh, priest or priestess, you know, and teach these uh, kids how to do the sacrifices, uh, make them desensitized to this stuff. They're trying to traumatize them. They're trying to uh, split their personalities. But we've heard this story so many times of where obviously a kid – a little child can't um, take a knife and cut somebody open or cut an animal open. And um, even if they had the strength to do it, they couldn't, you know, handle it mentally, emotionally. So uh, what they do is they'll put the knife in the child's hand and put their hand on top of them and force them to, uh, you know, if it's a human being, they'll cut them from uh, 
They'll cut them from the throat straight down to the groin, you know. Um, wow. Sometimes they'll put a gun in their hand and um, and then put their hand over top of it, you know, and, uh, you know, pull the trigger, uh, make them pull the trigger. You know, just things like this. That way uh, that, that child is now guilty of committing a murder. It darkens their heart. They think that they're a bad person, and they think there's no turning back. They think the blood is on their hands. And they made a pact with the devil and there's, you know, they sold their soul and there's no getting out of it, you know, and they do this over and over and over again, you know, uh, and, you know, I I could say thousands of times, but I won't, I'll say hundreds of times, you know, but thousands would not be exaggerating, you know, the number of rituals they put these, um, they put these children through that way, by the time that they're old enough, they're completely brainwashed and obedient to whatever program, whatever the cult, whatever they wanted to do. And, you know, I mean, we, we've talked about programming. We talked about MK Ultra, And, you know, I, uh, I forgot about that film, um, uh, Madness in the Fast Lane. That, that film is a game changer. When you show people that movie, uh, they realize, uh, you know, there's uh, some, something really weird's going on, right? So we talked about all the programming, but, also, there is that generational Luciferian um, tradition that these families want to keep alive, and they want to be obedient to Satan. They want to be obedient to the Antichrist when he shows up. These are these are the satanic armies, you know, that they're putting together, and it falls right into line with a lot of the stuff that you guys research when it comes to the transhumanism stuff, because, you know, yeah. you look at... Look at uh, Nebuchadnezzar. You know, what did he want? He wanted the strongest, the smartest, you know, same thing Hitler wanted. And, you know, we see a a pattern with these satanic leaders. And this is going to be the exact same thing, you know, when the Antichrist shows up on the the scene. You know, very likely he'll have an army of transhuman, you know, satanic super soldiers. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm going to touch on that one again. Uh, when we get into the Hollywood aspect. But before we leave what you're talking about there, I want to ask, because uh, I kind of alluded to it earlier, but are a lot of these occurrences happening in smaller towns or do they happen in big cities also, or or is it uh, yeah. varying degrees? Well, they I'll tell you where they happen. They happen anywhere that they can get away with it, okay? Um, mm. Anywhere where they have cover. So wow. in the film Detestable – you see a uh, a lady by the name of Debbie. Debbie's not a real name, but she didn't want to use her real name in the film. And she tells a story about her and her husband moving into this small town in Ohio, and they're just doing church. They're loving God. They're praising God. They're, uh, you know, um, doing warfare they, they, the way they've been taught, you know, in college. And he's a new pastor, and he wants to see people healed. He wants to see people set free. Little did they know that they moved into a town where a satanic cult had infiltrated the government of that town. They were in the, uh, they were in the courts, they were in the hospitals, they were in the um, sheriff's office, in the police office, and it totally blew their mind. They didn't know anything about any of this stuff. They were just trying to serve God. Then this church, and this is what happened so many times, is um, a satanic cult will send in infiltrators to a church that is a threat to them 
And uh, what these guys started doing is they started speaking up about all the drugs that were, you know, in this town. And they tried to, you know, to do something about it. So uh, this satanic cult didn't like it. They sent infiltrators in. But the church was so powerful that it broke down the programming of those who were assigned to the church. And this happens a lot. So here um, we hear so many stories of this, guys, where a church all of a sudden is they do deliverance. They're like, well, this person was demonized. And then they started saying all these crazy things about rituals and they were sent in and they were doing, you know, they were trying to get close to the pastor. They were trying to get close to the pastor's wife and uh, they're trying to get into the church at night, all this stuff. So, uh, but when the church is powerful, when it's a spirit filled church, when they're obeying God's word and they're, you know, they're, uh, you know, living in Christ and they're walking the walk, then uh, the, the infiltration is a lot harder for the Satanists, okay? And usually it backfires on them. So, but again, the the Christians aren't trained to deal with this stuff. They don't know what they're dealing with, but this is what happened in the case of Debbie in the film where her and her husband moved into this town and they were uh, alive in Christ and they exposed these Satanists and they found out that it went through all the whole community. They were in the hospital, the, you know, they were the judges and the police officers and they were threatened. Mm -hmm. So um, this lady told me, she said, Hey, I'm glad you're making this film. Uh, This is real. And you know, it happened to me. And I said, really, tell me your story. And when she told me her story, I asked her to be in the film because she had so much credibility. She's just a normal pastor's wife who never went looking for this stuff. She was minding her own business and it, you know, there it was. Mm. So they, they get away with it anywhere they can. Now, yeah. We do see a lot of it in the rural areas because there's a lot of privacy out there. They can just they can do whatever they want without anybody rolling up on them and catch them in a ritual. I mean, we see yeah. um we see ritual sites and evidence of ritual sites way out in the country all the time. But, you know, if it's an elite, if it's uh, somebody that's super rich, they can do it right in the confines of their own mansion, you know. And it can be right, you know, right in a regular neighborhood if it's right, you know, if it's inside of a mansion somewhere. Nobody's going to know what's going on because they have complete control of that. So, I mean, yeah, to answer your question, it's it's all those places. It's anywhere they can get away with it. But they do like they do like rural areas and uh, places, uh, you know, obviously that are uh, secluded. Wow. Well, well, you answered two of my questions in one. So because uh, I was going to next thing I was going to ask you was about church infiltration. And I know that's a big thing that goes around uh, across the country in, in some places around the world. So um, what I'm also noticing, too, well, this is obvious, but the psychological torment that a lot of these victims go through, and you, you kind of touched on it earlier, but when, when I'm watching the film and I'm looking at uh, the people breaking down and crying, uh, they feel like they don't know where to go. Uh, they feel like no one, no one is going to believe them. Because, I mean, in all actuality, even what you're saying now, it sounds like a Hollywood movie. That's what it sounds like. It sounds like one of those movies where you go to a small town and everyone's a Satanist you don't know. <laughs> you know, so it, it, it's very um, perplexing to some people out there that this could actually happen. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, there's no doubt about it. And there, there's a ton of movies like that. I mean, how many movies have we seen, you know, from – 40 years ago where uh, 
somebody wanders in the wrong town and they find out everybody's a Satanist. They had to get these ideas from somewhere, you know. Well, in, absolutely. Yeah. In the Sorry, film, I have a clip that's an interview with um, Christopher Lee. I forget his name. Christopher Lee, okay, very famous actor. Uh, and this is a very old clip, and this guy speaks very um, matter-of-factly about his knowledge of satanic cults. I, I don't know. I don't know how he knows. I don't know if he was involved. I don't, I don't, you know, I can't say that he was, but I can't rule it out. But he was, you know, he was like, this is going on and it's going on mm-hmm. everywhere. And just talk to the law enforcement and they'll tell you, of course, that was, you know, that interview was in black and white and it was a long time ago. And it was back when he was playing Dracula long before he was, um, you know, uh, Saruman. But um, yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it, it's fascinating nonetheless. So, yeah, uh, it, it is. It's like uh, it, it's like a Hollywood movie, except for it's real. It's real. Well, something yes. that always interested me is the X Files. Uh, as a big fan of the, this show, the X Files. There, I, th- I I can't remember what season it was. Maybe season four, maybe two, maybe three, two, three, or season two, three, or four. Um, one of the episodes was about a town. Where there were a, there were a couple of deaths, Agent Sculler and Fox or Scully and Fox Mulder were um, investigating, and it turns out the entire town was part of a coven. The the entire town itself, every aspect of the town was part of a coven, and it was just it was it was unsettling one day when I learned that the writers of X Files were actually using FBI. Real FBI files. They had FBI consultants that were providing them real case files to write the scripts for the show. So mm-hmm. that's admitted by the writers of the FBI. And it started me yeah. wondering about episodes like that. If the FBI had worked a case at one time that really involved a story like that. Now, obviously, things were changed in the script. But when you look right. at some of the the more recent, some of the more recent cases in the last couple years of uh, say an, like an Amish, an Amish group, maybe in Ohio or someplace else up in the north, or the uh, the northeast, where it kind of turned more cult cult like, you know, where it wasn't really just a group of like minded people living life with a specific set of values and rules. It you you find out there was one leader that was you know forcing sex on twenty or thirty of the girls in the camp. It, it was much more of a cult than it was anything else. And then you start realizing that, uh, you know, some of those elements in some of those cases, actually, it appears that it, it quite possibly was a coven that was hiding with the guise of being Amish. And that kind of set me on a whole new path of looking at some of these small groups, that, but towns and otherwise, that have an appearance, but it's really a facade to allow them to actively worship and conduct rituals in a Luciferian fashion away from the prying eyes of outsiders. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, in, in your, in your experience uh, researching this, this sort of thing, is it only confined to quote unquote Satanism or have you seen it cross over into stuff like Kabbalah or anything else? Well, and I can't speak for Tom here, but you'll find when you study the mystery schools, it. It turns into a lot of things. I, I, I can't, every 
every branch of the occult somehow, in my opinion, ties into one of the old mystery school religions one way or the other. And right. this is why. This, and this is why. I, with, with I love that answer. I love that yeah, answer. With, with, masonry, with masonry or anything else, with, what you find is that you have a lot of stupid people involved in the public at, the public aspect. And, and by stupid, I, I don't necessarily mean, maybe I should say ignorant. There are a lot of people that seek some of these, uh, you know, more friendly, uh, you know, fellowships like masonry or the Shriners or, you know, the Scottish Rite or the York Rite or whatever, uh, the blue yeah. lodge, you know, the, the 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 blue degrees, so to speak, your first, second, and third degree in those uh, those primary lodges, and they they seek the fellowship aspect of, of it, right? And so most of them don't understand the esoteric architecture that goes in, the deeper meanings, the hidden truths that the mystery school was, you know, built built around to shroud. You have people there that are or the double meanings of the double meanings of the a lot of the things that go on in the lodge. Exactly, they, and and a lot of people a lot of people involved now they don't they don't care, and and the same can kind of be said of some of the covens and stuff. You know, when you talk about generational Satanism, there are people that were born into it. They don't necessarily care as much about it as other people. They don't they don't necessarily care about the purity of the knowledge that they're trying to sustain or perpetuate. They're just they're they're a part of it, or you know some people get involved unknowingly because of the 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 liberal sexuality. You know there's a there's an uh, an unhindered uh, you know sexuality that is very enticing to some people because they enjoy that. You know now they're part of a group of people that can shed the inhibitions and they can partake very hedonistically in certain things. Uh, drug use is a big you know that's how they. So, the aspects that aren't generational, where people aren't born into it, where people can join, you'll find that there are these these things that they use to entice them, to get them involved. But inevitably at the core of all of these, you do have some people, though, that are trying to um, – they're, they're trying to perpetuate, and I guess – I'm looking for the word. I guess uh, – I lost the word for it. But they're, they're – they're keeping it alive. And what I've come to, to the realization of, over there was a, I'm a firm believer at this point that man, it's man himself was not capable of continuing the traditions of the mystery schools and keeping it together. This, all of these years, there's always a supernatural component pushing this mystery Babylon in whatever form it was. I remember I was very interested when the bloods and the crypts in California started spraying graffiti that involved the all-seeing eye and other exactly. occultic And what was interesting to me, you're not going to convince me for a second that a bunch of gangbangers are all of a sudden interested in the mystery schools. So the question is, who's teaching them these things? They don't understand the real meaning behind what they're putting on these buildings. So when you start to look at the people that have gotten involved, maybe behind the scenes, you know, showing them things to do, there's all, ultimately it boils down to a spiritual component where an older knowledge is being perpetuated spiritually. Even a man by the name of Mark Booth um, used to write about how the perpetuation of the secret societies that we know of today were being sustained and were being propagated by uh, controlled communication with spirits. And so, in my opinion, regardless of the flavor of the occult or, you know, even the types of activity that you can get involved with in, you know, gang activity that starts to utilize some of these symbols and signs, there's always a spiritual component that's hiding behind the scenes that's 
that's that's that's pushing this knowledge on a people, whether it's in the forms of dreams, uh, whether it's in the forms, uh, you know, it comes in many forms. Dreams and visions and things like that can happen to a lot of people, especially. I'm kind of going down a tangent. I mean, I see a lot of people that are really starting to take to DMT these days. There are a lot of people that are starting to take to psilocybin mushrooms, and it seems like hallucinogenics are coming back because we're we're telling people that you can have these amazing experiences where you can reach a uh, you can feel a sense of love and um, oneness with the universe. It's a very new agey, but that you can work through your own trauma through uh, these these uh, these you know psychoactive drugs. But what's interesting to me is there are a lot of people that I've counseled and myself that have done ayahuasca or forms of DMT that are able to bypass the blood-brain barrier that did not come back from those trips alone. You know, depending right. on the way depending on the way in which you did DMT, you know, you could have a ten-minute trip, you could have a two-hour trip. If you're doing peyote, you're gonna have a two you're gonna have a two-hour trip. But what's interesting is sometimes they come back with knowledge that is very much in line with the foundational teachings of the mystery schools, but they don't know that. And so the question is, where did they get that? Um, And I think one of the best examples that I've seen in the modern day of this knowledge of the occult and the mystery schools and mystery Babylon being perpetuated somehow by communication with spirits was in the story of a woman named Tracy Twyman. She wrote a book called Clock Shaving. This is a woman who's not a Christian to my knowledge, at least when I studied her work, she was definitely not a Christian. Um, So I don't necessarily recommend people go and research her work, but for the sake of this conversation, she was very interested in the science of the Ouija board. And what she did was she actually designed a Ouija board that was more efficient and allowed for faster communication. It's more of a circular Ouija board that had some other symbols on it that allowed for faster communication with the spirit. And slowly but surely, as she honed her Ouija board skills, she ended up coming into communion communion with a spirit that referred to itself as the Baphomet. We, we, most people read it as Baphomet. I'm not saying it was Baphomet, but it identified as Baphomet. And um, she began receiving instructions, long story short, that she began to carry out for the spirit that she was communing with. And over the course of a year or two, of constantly working on this relationship with this familiar spirit through her Ouija board, she was developing a group that was connected that she realized had the foundations of an old mystery school secret society. And for her, a light bulb went off that this is how the mystery schools and the occult in general has stayed intact for more than 5,000 years because it's not people passing down tradition. It's not people that just pick up an old book, get it. You have the direct involvement and interaction of powers and principalities that are perpetuating it and keeping it alive. Yes, I agree. You, you, I agree. You I agree. said a lot <laughs> right there. You said so much right there that um, we could go on just on that for a long time. Um, one, you talk about the blood in the crypts, and you would see the imagery that they produce, the all-seeing eye, and some of the other things that they do. Even we'll go to some of the, the gang signs, the hand signs. In the Bible it says, by their fruits you shall know them. And these guys are into killing, murder, their, their, um, the drug use. The other, the, and that's one aspect. The other aspect of it, 
I'm, I'll, I'll come back to rap music, but even when you go further now, let's go to the shamans. Let's look at the shamans and what they they teach people. They're teaching people to have out of body experience and and some of the other things that go along with that. And this is what is actually taught in some forms of rap music. They're telling you that you need to open your third eye, new age. Yeah. But like you said, it all goes right back to the mystery religion, mystery battle. Hey, and I know Chris before, has something to say to you. <laughs> I got a lot to say. But uh, speaking of the, the experience that you were talking about this lady had, um, are you guys familiar with Alan Moore and Grant Morrison? Uh, no, I am not. Tom. Okay, well, no. these are two um, these are two authors of comic books, and uh, Alan Moore he's a dark musician and I do he know tells Alan it all. It's, it's, okay, all right, yeah. you know, V for Vendetta, Watchmen, and all this, and he basically says his words are magic. But 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 put him to the side for a second. Grant Morrison comes in, and he's talking about what you just mentioned. And, but but however, he was on drugs, but. Not at the time that he had the experience with these entities. He said he wasn't smoking, he wasn't high, drunk, or anything. And they took him, supposedly took him to the Pleiades. And they gave him secret knowledge. And they, gave, they told him what to say. And he, in turn, put this in his comic books. And, and yeah, the children I, I are now sucking still have that up. Clip, um, Chris, I think we still have that clip. That's that's we have that clip that we played a few shows ago, probably about eight or ten shows ago, where we played and he explained like what Chris is saying. Um, if you could line that up, that would be great, and you, you you would hear them telling you exactly what they're about, and this is how they pass it on to little kids. Yes, indeed, and I have to I have to look for the clip. But I have another question. Uh, do you guys know about Kinsey? Yes. Yeah. Kinsey. Alfred Kinsey. Oh, Alfred Kinsey and his connection to Crowley. Yes, and how he how he developed our modern um, sexual education program. He basically took pedophiles, took pedophiles, and brought them in to do an experiment on young kids, and that's how he came up with this program. I'm I'm I'm, re- I'm, I'm condensing a long story here, but that's what happened. And it's going back into everything that we're talking about here. And, of course, his connection with Crowley and the pornographic industry and their connection with Crowley is very interesting. Um, So uh, if you haven't seen the Kinsey Syndrome, it's a very good documentary on this. And it's on YouTube anyway, but um, you can either buy it or watch it on YouTube. But it's very good to watch um, on that subject. But in the meantime, go ahead, Rory, uh, or anyone else while I look up this clip. No, I'm just – I am just – I am amazed. Um, about what you just said, because for a long time, the research that we have been doing, when I, if I go to rap music, I see the symbology that's there, okay, and I stopped. I go to um, shamanism, because we were doing um, a show on um, the shamans and even Pokemon, Um, so the shamanism and Pokemon and some of the monsters or the imagery that's used there. When we, when um, there was a guy that interviewed a shaman, he never, he has never been to America, never been to the West. And he says, Oh, that is, it doesn't speak any English. He said, that is that uh, demon. That is that demon. I've seen that. And, and like you said, I I think you, you really um, hit the nail on the head when you said, um, this is not just uh, being transferred 
from human to human, but you have some um, some power that is it's transposing this this uh, information, and people are latching on. You know, I don't know if you have anything else to say or share with that. And I after that, one more thing. And when you talked about training the, the children, I think one of the major um, things that we see today are, or the enemy that we have that um, a lot of people don't know how to deal with is um, Islam and what Islam is doing and how Islam is um, taking over. And one of the things that we, I saw a year ago was when the father, I think he was, he was from um, Australia, took, you know, they've been teaching the kids how to behead someone and how you saw the picture or the image of the child having the knife. The child couldn't do it necessarily, but the child is being trained from a very early age to have that knife in the hand and the head in the other hand. And uh, yeah. maybe you want to share with that, uh, talk about that, but Wait, these are on. some of the things Wait, that I've on. seen. Before, I found the clip, so before we get into the rest of the stuff, let me just play the clip real quick. And this is Grant Morrison talking about chaos, magic, and, and all this stuff. All right, here we go. The deal is this. I've been writing this comic for the last six years, and the weird thing was, like you, like everyone here, we're trying to figure, what's going on? Why do we feel different? Why don't we fit into this world? Why do we think that they're not telling us the truth? So I went out and I read Robert Anton Wilson's books when I was 20 years old, which is 20 years ago now, and I figured, is this guy with me? He says we can talk to aliens, we can talk to people from Sirius. Is he talking crap? He said Alistair Crowley's got methods for contacting alien intelligence and for changing the world. Is he talking crap? So I did it. And no, he's not talking crap. <laughs> right? And we can all do it. And this is uh, by way of trying to demolish the counterculture and replace it with something useful. We're just going to start here and see where we get to. When I started doing The Invisibles, which is a comic book for people who don't, haven't seen the thing, it's a comic book which is kind of my attempt to explain what happened to me after I'd been abducted by aliens in Kathmandu in 1994. And the only reason I was abducted by aliens in Kathmandu in 1994 is because I went to Kathmandu in 1994 to be abducted by aliens. <laughs> <laughs> and it works, right? And these people, they will turn up. <laughs> and what they told me was this, and they tell everyone the same issue, but it's in different perspectives, it's from different nervous systems, it seems to be filtered through everyone's own view of the world, but they keep telling us the same issue. So I met these guys, I'm sitting in the roof garden of the, the Vajra Hotel in Kathmandu, and I was going doing tons of dope, you know, but in my defence, I do like a quarter of dope a day, right? and I've been doing it since 1990. So I know that, and as you all know, everyone out there who's like who's ahead and who knows what I'm talking about, you don't hallucinate, right? If you go to the garage, it's near up the garage. If you go to the 7-Eleven, it's the 7-Eleven. You might be stoned, you might be picking up lots of interesting little bits and pieces that you don't normally get when you're straight. But you know what's real and you know what's not real. So, as I say, in my defence, man, I was loaded. <laughs> but this was the end of a week in which I'd been loaded every single day. And I'm sitting up there in the roof garden and suddenly these cops arrive. And they arrive en masse and they look exactly like Terence McKenna described. <laughs> Why is that? 
because <laughs> I'd just read Terence McKenna a year before. What they told me was they took me out of my body. I wasn't in my body anymore. This doesn't normally happen with hash. This happens on DMT or it happens on ketamine or something, right? I'm on hash, a tiny little bit, size of a lentil, and I start tripping and I'm out of my body. And these look up to me and they said, where do you want to go? The first thing I said was Alpha Centauri, which is the first thing you would say, of course. <laughs> and they took me to Alpha Centauri and it's the feeling there. There's three suns, the whole thing was moving exactly as we're told it's supposed to move astronomically. And I'm there, and I said to them, well, what the hell's going on here, <laughs> as you might? And uh, they said, we've come to tell you this stuff so that you can put it in your work and explain it to the world. Like, Why do they always say that to everyone? <laughs> Why do they always tell everyone to go out and tell the world what's going on, and everyone tells us the same? Yeah, so I guess you guys can comment on that. Well, you know, when you... Um when you meet these people or you even hear a testimony like what you just heard, there's no convincing them that they did not encounter aliens, that they did not encounter a ghost, that they did not encounter a friendly spirit or whatever it is that that demon said that they were, you know, to that person. And it's very difficult to, you know, to pull these people out of this deception. So, I mean, we, we see this a lot. And of course we, we hear so many testimonies of people who've, uh, who've been abducted by aliens and who've had encounters by aliens. And, you know, I mean, we know as believers, the only way to put a stop to aliens, demons, and, you know, all that other stuff is through the authority of Christ. But, yeah. um, yeah, I don't know. That's chilling. He went purposely to get yep. abducted yeah. by aliens. That that's yeah. just crazy. People are playing with stuff that they have no clue. He's opening yeah. himself wide, you know, wide open to whatever they have to say and whatever they say, no matter how crazy the lie is, he's going to believe it. Right. Absolutely. And, and the other and thing about it is the the other thing about it too is that now he comes back and he writes these things for kids, and the kids are being brainwashed. You see. And you notice everybody there, they were laughing. He said, that's what I went there for. You know, um, mm-hmm. he went there because he, he wanted to trip. And he wanted to to to, to, to have this experience. To see if it worked. To see if it worked. To see if it really worked. Yeah. And notice, uh, I know earlier I said that he wasn't uh, high or drunk, but he said he had a little bit of hash. Just a little. And then he started tripping. And, uh, and for for all the listeners out there, let you know that aliens are demons, not not from another galaxy or something like that. They're either fallen like angels. Alpha Centauri. <laughs> yeah. So the you know the power principalities, uh, Baal was uh, ruler of the air, you know. And these these things are very real. They're happening out there, people. Um, especially when we go back to the original topic is the. Uh, satanic ritual abuse. We had a, a sh- there's a show on HBO, uh, the first season. It, True Detective. It covered this aspect, I guess, from a true story. Uh, so you got to realize, people, again, that this is real. So I want to, since we're at the, we're we're almost we have I think we have 42 minutes left. So I want to segue back into the Hollywood perspective of all this, and I'm going to start with what Greg Reed said in the DVD about um, he was possibly 
being groomed for Hollywood. You guys want to touch on that? I know you know it personally. Yeah. yeah um, oh, okay, go ahead, Tom. Well, you know, here's the thing. We hear a lot of stories, and there's no shortage of uh, videos on YouTube that you can go in and type and find out about pedophilia in Hollywood and that sort of thing. And uh, I'll give you something to look up real quick uh, for anybody listening out there. If it's still available, I think the transcript is still available, is you can find this um, conservative radio, uh, talk show radio host out of the Chicago area whose name is Man Cow. And he was on the Alex Jones show. This was years ago. And he told of an experience where he went to Hollywood and he got an invitation to a private party. And it was really weird, and he had to go down, and he had to get dropped off by a limo, and there was a secret way there. And he showed up, and he thought he was lost, but he was actually at the place. And he went into this satanic party, and he gives the he, – he says there was a woman there that was supposed to seduce him that looked, you know, looked very similar to his wife. And he, he just wow. talked about all kinds of bizarre things there. But this is an example – and, um, again, his name is Mancow. That's kind of a weird name. I don't know if anybody's ever yeah. heard of him. He, uh, he's kind of like his, a, I think that was his – wasn't that his uh, stage name or his show? Because he had, he had a show. Um, he had a show. I, I remember seeing him on the um, – he had a radio show, not only out of Chicago, but it was all across the United States at one point. Um, but, you know, those uh, Satanists, those elite would love to try and uh, – to bring, you know, to get a hold of a guy like that and recruit him. And he believes that's what they were trying to do at that party. So, yeah, um, I mentioned that to Greg in, in the film when I was interviewing, you know, I, you know, after I read his book, I kind of thought that maybe they were trying to recruit him just because of where he was, the proximity to Hollywood. I mean, maybe it's a long shot. I don't know, but I just kind of threw that out there because, the reason I said that is because Greg wasn't the sacrifice. He was the one doing the sacrifice and he was the one that they were training to do that. So they have purposes for everybody and they look for, you know, they look for a certain profile of a person, you know, when they're looking for a, uh, when they're looking for a a crazy shooter, they always look for a, um, somebody who's had military experience, but they have no father and a strong mother. Uh, and usually a mother that hates men, and that's like the recipe uh, for a uh, for a lone gunman. So, you yeah. know, the, the Hollywood aspect um, there's there's just uh, too much. Uh, I don't want to say it's evidence, but there's just too there's too many stories out there of these guys being involved in this crazy stuff. And well, uh, yeah, to elaborate on what Tom said about Greg. You know, birthdays, uh, actual dates, they have a lot of significance within the – well, it kind of depends on the flavor of the occult that you're in. For instance, Greg was kind of being brought up in sort of a weird mix. I think he even mentions it in the uh, the film, a weird mix of, like, druidism and, and black magic. You know, that's, that's not the same across the board for everybody. You know, he was kind of – you know, even the occult has denominations, so to speak, in the same way that most Christians understand denominations. You've got different flavors. Well, it being there was a druid sort of uh, nature to the the group that he was being brought up in. What people need to understand is Greg was born on February the fifteenth, 
which is the the day that they celebrate the feast to the Roman god Lupercus, and like the mm. wolf god. And so what what you see is sort of a grooming that was quite possibly that he was actually he was chosen quite possibly because of his birthday. Having been born on that day is very uh, spiritually significant. Um, you know, on top of that, though, there are elements of Greg's history with his family that will be lost forever. You know, there seems to be some clues that his grandmother knew far more than she ever let on, and when Greg pressed her to find out what she knew that, what kind of secret she knew that had been buried, she reacted very aggressively, you know, very uh, verbally aggressively back, you know, and as soon as he began questioning his own grandmother, you know, just asking, just just asking if they could open up that can of worms, you know, is there anything I, sh- you know, pretty much is there anything I should know about this family that's, 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 you know, not common knowledge, I'm paraphrasing his own words, you know, it wasn't long after he began asking those questions that she... She had a breakdown, and she mentally checked out. It, it, she became, I think she actually jumped out of a car. Oh, man, I hope I'm not butchering that story. But she, she, do you remember him saying that the other day, Tom? He, she, she bailed out of a car. I don't remember driving. that. I don't remember um, that, but, yeah. Maybe that was, might have maybe been what I was going on. Yeah, I, I think she, she tried yeah. to get out while it was moving, or she did get out. She kind of almost sort of, like, didn't know where she was, and it just, she just went downhill from there. She she didn't she died not too long after, and it, it kind of made me wonder, you know, as I was talking to Greg, if she form of programming, maybe 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 not. I, I, we don't know. That that kind of you know kind of she at least whatever whatever the memories were that brought up where her demeanor changed, it seemed to have affected her so deeply that um, she wasn't she wasn't right after drudging that up again, and she ended up passing away not long after. So, you know, with Greg, not only his birthday, but some of the clues that there were people in his family that knew more than led on to, I don't know that we're ever really going to know the full story on why he was being groomed. But I guess my overall point is, look at birthdays, too. They're very, very significant and important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, um, I'm glad you went into that because the next couple of uh, things I'm going to mention ties right into that. you have Eyes Wide Shut, that movie. You yeah. Trust on the Mansion part a, a, a little bit. And then you have Rosemary's Baby, which is basically the birth of the Antichrist. And it has so many different links to real life occultists and everything like that. And I don't want to get too much into that. But let's go. Uh, you have this movie, the TV show, sorry, Legion, that just came out this year. And I watched the whole season. I'm like, wait a minute. It didn't, it didn't hit me at first. Legion. I said, wait a minute. Isn't that the name of the demon in the Bible? So I went and looked it up, and then I went to look up the character. I'm like, oh, wow. Basically, all they did was translate that into a character that has all these personalities, and he's um, what they would call an omega-level mutant, and he astral projects. Oh, there's all sorts of stuff in this, in this TV show. Um, but basically, he's like a god. And... Um, he has this this they call, in the movie they call it a parasite that has been with him since he was a child, and I'm going to lead into some other stuff when I say this. Um, and this thing is inside of him with his other personalities, and um, it's so connected to him that if they try to push it out by by their own means, they will kill him. 
Um, it, it, things eventually happen in the show, but that's one aspect, right? And then we have, you mentioned earlier, the movie Split. I watched it last night. <laughs> and I, I didn't even realize that this was the birth of a, of a villain, uh, a, a comic book villain, you know, because it's connected to Unbreakable um, by M. Night Shyamalan, Ding Dong, whatever his name is, right? And same thing here. You have this dark creature that has been, that's been connected to this guy, um, and it doesn't manifest till later. Um, and it's actually superhuman, a super soldier. And we'll get into that in, in, in a couple seconds. Um, but all of this is just connecting to what you guys are presenting in the, in the, in the movie. And, and before I go into uh, the last part, um, actually two more parts to go into, we have, I watched this, this full two-hour documentaries on magicians. And what I found compelling is the same thing. Some of these magicians had this spirit with them since they were a child, and that's the spirit that's obviously working through them to do these magic tricks. Um, and and um, what's, what's one of them? The dynamo? Dynamo is one of them. And you'll see this reoccurring yeah. from they were a child, from they were a child, from they were a child, in the comic books, everywhere. And, and, and wait, before you go, Rory, um, one more thing before I get into the super soldier aspect is what you'll see manifest in, in these comic book movies is a lot of the, 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 the comic book heroes that aren't demigods, the way their powers manifest is through trauma. They have to get angry or beat up or something. Absolutely. And it's still paralleling with the whole conversation. I know I just gave you guys a bunch, but I, I, I just didn't want to take up too much time. Go ahead. Well, all right. Well, I was just, um, like what you said, uh, Hulk with the rage, um, some of these different things uh, that, are, that, are, um, that we see, just these reoccurring themes that are happening all across the board. What Chris talked about, the magicians, when we started studying it, it got so dark, I just left it alone because it's evident it's very evident there that there is a force that's behind it. So I said, yes, it's just flat. I knew, I knew immediately that it was demonic. Um, I, I saw one where um, Britain got talent or America, one of, one of those shows, one of those uh, um, so-called idol shows where, where this guy, he comes out and he says, hey, so what are you going to do today? And the guy says, well, I'm going to introduce you guys to my friend, my invisible friend. And and this is the way the show is going on. I'm just I'm just trying to uh, solidify what what Chris was talking about. But this guy went and did a trick or, or something on stage, and everybody in the audience they were shocked. But I knew immediately. I said, "That's demonic," you know. And but we see these same themes that now it's it's becoming mainstream. People are picking it up and and running with it and and saying, "Well, no, it's okay," you know. The Bible says, "Warn to those who call evil good and good evil," and they're they're saying, "No, it's 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 okay. We have to embrace this." No, it's not. We need to repel it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Go ahead, God. No, Amen, Amen. Um, there, you know, obviously we look at uh, when we talk about magicians. The first thing I think of is uh, Pharaoh who was a, uh, he was, at the time, he was the most powerful political leader 
you know, in the world when Moses took him on and he was surrounded by these magicians, these satanic magicians, and they had a certain amount of power to do, you know, uh, to imitate, you know, what, uh, what God was doing. But there was a certain, uh, you know, there came a, a certain time where they couldn't do it anymore. So, um, you know, we see political leaders all throughout the Bible surrounded by the occult. We can see Nebuchadnezzar. You know, obviously we think of Nimrod. We think of, you know, all these people. And um, why are we so naive to think that it's not going on today? You know, people think, well, the Bible's closed. It's done being written, but that doesn't happen anymore. You know, our political leaders today, they're they're only Republican and Democrat, and that's all there is to them, and they're not really involved in all that (laughs) stuff, you know. So, um, and, and that's what people think, you know, and it's just like, I try to, I try to reach Christians, you know, by showing them Ezekiel chapter eight and showing them the book of Daniel, showing them, you know, uh, what Moses was up against the power encounters, the power encounters Paul had, you know, and, uh, the, the apostles and what they went up against and the, and the demonized and all this stuff. And, you think in the book of Acts, Simon the sorcerer and all this stuff, you know, why do we think that we don't have to deal with it today? So, um, but they're like, you know, yeah, I, be- I believe the Bible, but it's not real today. So I don't, um, backing up what you guys are saying, and, and you know, th- there's nothing new under the sun. Obviously, we know this. And um, so, you know, we're dealing with the same thing today. Uh, the demonic, the demonic are ancient. Okay, they're they're so much smarter than we are, but they're not smarter than God. That's why we need his word. That's why we have to put as much of his word in us that we possibly can to memorize, to read, to, you know, because that is the weapon that Jesus used. Jesus himself used against the demonic, used against the devil when he came against him. They would try to pervert the word of God, and he would use it right back against them. So we've got to, you know, of course, we've already said this at the beginning of the show, put on the full armor of God. And, uh, you know, um, it's going to be more difficult for us to be deceived, you know, the more read we are in the word, the more spiritual gifts that we have, like the gift of discernment. So, right. Jared, any, any thoughts? No, I mean, I just, I mean, I agree with Tom, you know, it's, um, you know, all of these subjects are, I think that most of the material that's out there that really helps give, give people a good grasp, you know, on the spiritual level, there's a lot of bad material out there, you know, when it comes to understanding our authority and how to engage in this stuff. And so, you know, most of the time I just, I'll just recommend that people pray about it, you know, before they they, you know, I, we certainly don't recommend that anybody goes out, takes any of this information, and starts trying Amen. to necessarily do anything with it because it's dangerous. I mean, something Tom and I have learned a long time ago. I, I think I speak for Tom and I. We we do not do this ministry because we woke up one day and we said this will be fun. You know, we do this ministry because we were called to it. We've learned along the way, but nothing about this ministry is fun. In fact, if I had my choice, I would not be a part of it because it's. It's brutal. It's 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 you know I I refer to what we do as being jan- spiritual janitors. I mean every situation that we end up in, we're just cleaning up a mess. That's it. We're cleaning up a mess and we're waiting for the next mess. And sometimes the mess is so big it takes 
it, you, you don't ever get it cleaned up. You know, you're working on that mess for a long time, and that has a way of that that, that definitely has a way of affecting you. You know, in, in a negative way, especially when sometimes that mess, so to speak, is is also attacking you at the same time. You know, it's like uh, it's just not fun. But I, it, we're called to do it. You know, and so when we see results and we get to train people in spiritual warfare and we get to pass on information that God has given us. You know, when we see God working through it, it brings us great joy because God's doing something. At that point, we find joy in watching the Lord work. And right now, I've I've been greatly encouraged by the number of people that are at least waking up to the ideas that we're talking about that are now beginning to pray for God to reveal this darkness. You know, it's one, this specific type of darkness that we talk about, we don't believe man can expose. You know, we do not believe that men, mankind in general or the Christian church has the ability to expose this. Anytime you see it exposed in Scripture, especially like Ezekiel chapter 8, um, you have an angel of the Lord that comes and takes Ezekiel into the temple and shows him the abominations that the leadership are committing inside the temple. And, and, and it specifically states there, look at what they do to keep me out. You know, look at what they do to keep me out. And what we see happening right now is you have enough of an occultic presence that's infiltrated the church, worked its way behind the scenes. They are doing things specifically, like in Ezekiel chapter 8, to keep God out. Not that you anybody has the ability to keep God out, but if you dirty the air and you do not have a church that is doing due diligence and engaging in prayer and spiritual warfare, God, God will leave an area. God's presence will recede from an area allowing that darkness to take over. If you look, just look at Deuteronomy 32, where God disinherited the nations, right? And he numbered them according to the number of the sons of God. Um, Michael Heiser does a great job of explaining what happens in Deuteronomy 32. After the Tower of Babel, you had a rebellious people that had taken to Nimrod, did not want God as, as, as their ultimate authority. God disinherits the nations except for Israel, you know, he decides he's going to choose a people for himself, but he dis- he creates he creates seventy new nations overnight, <coughs> and he 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 numbered these nations according to the number of the sons of God. At that point, you start seeing the people in these nations. It becomes a turf war. They're worshiping gods other than God Most High, El Elyon, Yahweh, and um, you know these 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 deities start requiring blood. They start requiring blood blood sacrifices, and and you saw a turf war. And that's why at one point in time, you literally see where, you know, God became very jealous of the attention of, of the Israelites because they would go a whoring with foreign gods. Well, those were sons of God that were literally ruling and reigning in the surrounding territories around Israel. You, you see it where you had the priests of Dagon bring the ark into their holy temple. They come back the next day. God has knocked over their, their statue. They prop it back up. He's knocked it over again. You know, it's a turf war. At that point, they wouldn't even cross over onto that soil because obviously their God had no authority over the one that was in the ark. You know, it's and so I guess my overarching point is, as we live in a society where we have been told a bunch of lies about the way the universe really works, we are living in a in a giant turf war. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I believe Jesus sent out the seventy. And so, you know, when you look at things like the refugee crisis, um. Tom and I are very concerned that as we bring in refugees these under the guise of political safety, 
Uh, we're actually bringing in foreign gods, powers, and paladies into neighborhoods and churches that have no ability of how to deal with what they're, what's coming. And so, you know, when Tom and I approach this subject, it's always from the standpoint of a turf war. And I know I've kind of gone the long route on the explanation. I'm not trying to be verbose, but people have to understand the biblical backdrop for the turf war, even like the Bloods and Crips. It's blood in, blood out. What's being required as being involved? Blood. You know, it's blood. It's blood in, blood out. It's always blood with the Muslims. You know, just like you're mm-hmm. talking about with the kids, it's blood that's required. It's always the mm-hmm. blood that's Absolutely. required. And so uh, no, no matter what aspect of the occult we're dealing with or where it's mm-hmm. at, we, ha- we have to understand that we're not just dealing with people. We're dealing with powers and principalities that are sitting on thrones in high places, and if you really want to get ahead of it, the Christian church has to target those high places with their prayers and tear them down. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned, you mentioned blood sacrifice. You 100%. And um, to, even, to, to go back um, to what you're saying, a lot of what we are talking about today, tonight, in most churches, they're not even aware of what we're talking about. They're not even – well, let me, let me put it this way. In some American churches, in some churches here, they're not aware. A lot of them. A lot they're, of them. Well, well I, have a, I have another point that's fresh on my mind. Russ brings it up. You know, in the scriptures when Jesus says this time comes out by prayer and fasting alone, most people, they, they focus on the prayer and fasting part. But Russ – Russ has consistently made a great point about that verse. Jesus specifically says this type of spirit comes out right. by prayer and fasting. Alone. Right. What Jesus is alluding to, there are different species of yeah. demonic powers and principalities. And so, yeah, you know, yeah, one of the problems I see with the church yeah. is that we act like demons are just fallen angels. Satan's the king of them. And then we've just got a bunch of good angels that are flying around and whoop de do It's really that simple. But when you really dig into the Greek and the Hebrew, it's not that simple. You know, I, I'm, I don't know where, where you guys stand. And I, Tom and I have disagreed on this a little bit, but you know, I, I definitely tend towards the persuasion that demons are the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim for reasons I, I can make my case, but it doesn't have mm-hmm. to be necessarily true. I'm not super dogmatic about that, but what I do know is that demons are not just fallen angels. You've got an entire hierarchy in the scriptures with different classes Mm -hmm. and different words to describe them. They have different responsibilities. They have different abilities. There's a different hierarchical structure than most people realize. And the church acts like it's all the same thing, you know? Well, well, when you go into Ephesians uh, 6 again, and you start off there when he talks about principalities, powers, those are different classes of forces. Exactly. Even yeah. rulers in high places are different classes. So it's pretty evident, but sometimes people just don't get it right away. And, and, no, and the other and, thing, and there's limited like, experience you, actually dealing with it. Say that again? Sorry, I oh. didn't hear you. Um, You're breaking up, Rory. People have such limited experience dealing with it. You know, it's just, right. you know, and I don't, I don't fault them for this, but what it does is it leaves them in a very vulnerable position where they're wide open to the attacks because, you know, when it comes to, you know, spiritual warfare is very much like warfare. It's just different. It's, it has to be strategic. You know, there are legal rights that involve there, you know, there are strategies and plans of the enemy. They plot and they plan. It's not, 
it's not an accident when people get hit or, or things spiritually are carried out. And too often times we take it very casually that spiritual warfare is more simple than it really is. And, I, you know, it's one of the things that bothers me about the complacent and sleeping church that one of the reasons they get their butts handed to them so often is because they're completely ignorant about the type of warfare that they're engaging in or the type of warfare that's happening around them that they have no knowledge of. And when they do get involved, most of the time they have no concept of who the real enemy is. They've been sold a lie about what we're dealing with that's far more complicated and powerful than they understand. When you read Second Kings chapter 3, you see the Israelites are winning when they're, they're fighting the king of the Moabites, uh, king Manasseh, I believe his name was. They're, they're warring against him. Manasseh throws 700 of his best swordsmen up against him. The Israelites crush his swordsmen. And so Manasseh makes a desperate move, and he burns his oldest son on the wall. He does a ritual. Yep. And yep. the scriptures say that such great wrath come, came against Israel at that point that Israel turned and fled. Israel had already won the battle. Physically, they had dominated the battlefield. They slaughtered everybody that stood before them. They were winning, but they lost the spiritual battle. They focused on the physical, and they lost the spiritual battle. And so oftentimes churches do the same thing. They ignore that dark powers, dark principalities are real, and they do not do what they are supposed to do or use the gifts that God has given them to defeat it, and they end up failing. Churches close doors, pastors fall into sexual scandals, people drop dead, people, you know, it's just, it's, it's just sad. They're, they're yeah, getting hit, yeah. and they don't know what they're getting hit with. So, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I just, you know, come in agreement with everything that Jared's saying there. When I began doing this film, I was on the leadership board of my church, and I really felt compelled to tell them what I was going to be doing. Because if any of them were doing something like what I'm doing, I would want to know. So right. I, uh, I said, hey, I need five minutes at the end of the meeting. And I announced that I'm making a movie about satanic ritual abuse. We, they looked at me like I was uh, alien or something. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I mean, you could have heard a pin drop in that room, and I mean, they they were just amazed. See, the seminaries aren't teaching spiritual warfare; nope. they're not teaching any of this stuff. So, how can the pastors know if they're, you know, if the seminaries aren't teaching mm. it? So, and then the, you know, obviously the churches aren't getting equipped. So, nope. but not one person on that board asked me how my film was doing or how I was doing. They were scared to death of the topic. And I'll tell yeah. you, yeah. We, we've already touched on this, but Hollywood has done an amazing job of covering this topic. And every single film is the same when they cover the demonic. It's always the demonic mm. is more powerful. The Christian yes. has very little hope. And yes. they usually use a Catholic priest, and they're doing the Catholic right. rite of exorcism. And the, it's a little old man who's scared to death, and he's shaking, and he's trying to cast out a demon or you know, uh, clean a haunted house or, you know, whatever. And it's the same thing. So you don't even got to watch the movie. All you got to do is watch the trailer. And it convinces people, (laughs) even Christians, you know, um, that, hey, we're up against something here that's more powerful than us. Uh, We better not Uh, mess with it. It is more powerful powerful than Jesus. Absolutely. You know, let me give you a personal experience. Um, the first church I went to was a Methodist church. You know, we would normally get done. We would normally, um, we would normally do, um, you know, you sing a few songs, you do praise and worship, and then you, uh, you would leave. And after that, I, I 
started, I was a deacon in the Baptist church, and I remember one night uh, I was having a prayer meeting at my home, and this young lady came in, and long and short of it, she was possessed. I've never in my life experienced anything like this. I'm like, oh, my goodness, who can I call now to tell them what's going on in my home? Can I call the pastor? I called a friend of mine, and I said to him, hey, you got to come over. you got to come and see this because um, I've never seen anything like this. He's from Africa, and he says, my dear brother, the Bible says these only come up by prayer and fasting. And I said, listen, man, you need to come over here, you know, <laughs> and it's <laughs> because, you know, I, all I could do at that time I, the authority that I had was this was given, my home was given to me by God, and this was where we planned to stay. And my wife and I, I looked at my wife, we began praying, and we said, in the name of Jesus, be still, don't move. And then it was uh, a lady that my wife worked with who came from a, a church with no name, and she came, and when she came in, she stood on Scripture and systematically went down the Scriptures and drove that thing out. And I said, wow, where did you learn that from? I said, oh, this is spiritual warfare and so and so and so. And we started going. And then she gave us some instructions on what to do. And that was the first time after being, after going to church for over 20 years of my life, more than 20 years, you can actually say almost 30 years of my life, that I've ever experienced anything like that. Yeah. Now, yeah. If, well, I, if even even today, if I go and say the same thing to my brothers, my cousins, thing people who I have grown with, they would look at me and laugh. But I know that it's real. Same yeah. same problem in every town. If somebody were to pop up that's demonized, you probably couldn't find a church in the town that could handle it. You know, I mean. So. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, so. All right, so we're near the close of the program, but I want to touch one more subject. And we can even come back and visit this subject, but I don't want to leave the show without talking about this, and it's the super soldiers. Now, we've seen super soldiers in uh, Marvel Universe, DC Universe, and uh, all American uh, films that have been going through the decades, right? But there's a real aspect to it that many people don't understand. And, in fact, America has a super soldier program going on right now. Um, you want to touch on that a little bit? Because I know I can go on for ages talking about this. Go ahead. Well, I mean, I'll give you my take on it. Is um, There's many different, you know, um, varieties of super soldiers. It's almost like this, uh, the transhumanism thing is like the new arms race. You know, it's, it's one aspect yeah. of it. And yeah. uh, everybody's trying to build a better soldier, you know. I mean, um we had, you know, during the Cold War, we had the uh, the Allies fighting over the technology. You know, we think of Operation Paperclip and uh, fighting over the, the German technology, what they could get out of there. The uh, the Russians were getting the mind control technology, and so were we and anybody else could get a hold of it. So, you know, okay, uh, 2017, what's the new version of that? You know, it's uh, it's going to be how can we augment our bodies and, you know, uh, make them stronger, you know, and we're talking everything from, uh, you know, just uh, injecting somebody with uh, some kind of animal cells fusing, you know, we're talking about human-animal hybrids, 
and uh, making making them stronger. Uh, we're talking about uh, you know putting bionics in humans and you know uh, fusing humans with technology. You know all this stuff, and this is this is something that you guys cover you know uh, way more than we do. I went to the uh, 2045 conference in New York back in uh, it, it must have been five years ago now. Uh, Russ and I. And these guys, I think they just upped their date to like 2029. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, you know, when we read um, prophecy, when we read our Bibles, when we read the book of Revelation, you know, we know that this is part of it. And this, there, there's something going on there. And we could talk about the mark of the beast. We could talk about the, um, we could talk about the blood and um, so many things and it goes right into the things that we've been talking about tonight so you know the the more again the more we are in our word the the stronger we are in the lord the more time that we spend interceding you know and we can when we're talking to god god's talking to us and um the bible says that even um the elect would be deceived if that were possible matthew 24 right, right? So we've yeah. got we to get as strong as we can, you know, in the word and, you know, Amen. just uh, and serving God so we won't be deceived. And so we can see these things coming. Um, you know, I, I don't know what it's going to take to take one of these things out. Probably a double tap to the head. You know, I mean, huh. uh, when yeah. you have a hybrid or when you have something that's not human, there's no human spirit for the uh, demon to have to fight control over that um, that humanoid mm-hmm. body with. The, the demon can go sure. in and have full control because it's not fighting yeah. with the human spirit. So, I yeah, mean, right. you know, I just tried to give a, you know, just kind of like a, a crash course and, you know, what we think about it, what I've seen. But uh, there's so many things that we could talk about. And uh, that's why I like your guys' show because you guys talk about that stuff a lot. Jared? Yeah, well, I, I agree with Tom. I, I guess how, how much, we, we got a limited amount of time now, don't we? So, no, you just go, man. Just go. Just go. Well, you know, it, 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 you know, it ties into the whole Nephilim thing. I mean, it's one of the things that Hitler was obsessed with. You know, when he was reading the, when he was obsessed with the works of Helena P. Blavatsky, who was the founder of the Theosophical Society, you know, she was obsessed with this concept of the Archons and this pure blood race of people that, you know, um, came from the Nephilim. Well, Hitler, for whatever reason, and I guess the rumor is that. Um, you know, when everybody went to the Antarctic and Operation High Jump uh, back yeah. at the end of World War II, um, that somehow or another they had met a race of Nephilim hybrids or something called the Nordics, who were blonde hair, blue eyes. Himmler wrote about how he had met the new man, and they were cold and terrifying. Um, and Hitler developed his final solution, it seems, um, trying to backwards engineer uh, the bloodline to the original pure bloodline of the uh, descendants of the Nephilim. Hitler, everything about World War II was occultic and had to do with, you know, Hitler's ultimate Absolutely. spiritual beliefs in in radically changing the DNA of mankind to put us in tune with an ancient race of beings we understand in the scripture known as the Nephilim. Well, are you guys familiar with the work of Hugo de Garris? No. Yes, uh, I've heard I've heard it before, but I, I, but right, I well, haven't done if extensive study. If you guys cover transhumanism a lot on your show, you're going to love this guy. He he wrote a book called The Artelect War, Artificial Intellect, The Artelect War, 
Um, and what mm-hmm. you'll find is he was he was a brain scientist that worked at a Chinese university trying to develop artificial brain technology. And as they studied brain technology, he started developing his own ideas about um, computing, you know, some of the computing laws and um, the speeds in which things were developing. I can't remember. Halbert's rule. No, that's Halbert's Hotel. It was a, I can't remember the principle of the way processing speed doubles every year, every couple of years or something. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he's a fascinating guy to listen to, and his take on it. But something was interesting, though, that Hugo de Garris mentioned is he's been trying to develop AI, and that is this very strange compulsion. He's had an almost—it's an internal compulsion to push forward with the advancements in this technology, even though he is completely aware that what he's doing could lead to what he refers to as giga death. You know, the death of. Um, I guess the giga death is a term he uses to, to talk about the massive death of billions of people. You know, when we look at Revelation and we see how a third of the earth dies overnight here and a, a third of the earth dies, you know, again over here and is sixth of the earth another night, whatever. You know, you, you see something is coming. Something is coming that is going to eradicate massive amounts of whether we're here or not. I, I don't know. You know, I don't get to the rapture debate. But there are a lot of people that are going to die real, yep. real fast. And it, and it, I think the scripture has clues that there's artificial intelligence involved. I, I personally believe that when the beast breathes life into the image of the beast uh, and that, that that image is given power to wage war against the saints and for a time will prevail against them, my personal belief is that's the birth of AI. And so what's interesting about Hugo de Garris is knowing, knowing that he's quite possibly – giving birth to Skynet, so to speak, that could have the potential of eradicating billions of people. He still has an internal compulsion and a need to do it. And I've often wondered, when you look at Hitler and the way he played with mediums and developing technology, when you look at the way they use channelers to glean things, when you look at the way certain mediums have come up with ideas spiritually, I really believe that Hugo de Garris had tapped in something on the other side propelling him into advancements in AI technology leading to augmentation but for the sole purpose too maybe this is just me going out in the left field but I also believe we're developing these quantum computing machines that will be capable of housing demonic spirits and that's honestly where I'm at right now is trying to figure out if we're dealing with artificial intelligence or machines capable of harboring a soul well, well, good um, point. We we we, we, we got to bring we, you back on, on that point. <laughs> but we have a point. we have a show. We have a show that we've been planning for over six months on artificial intelligence. And trust me, when we do that show, it's going to val- validate a lot of things you just said. <laughs> because well, I, there are so make sure I get many. Because I'd love to hear it. Oh, oh yeah, definitely. Because there's so many different AIs being built right now by major right. corporations. Yep. And uh, let me just touch on the one that Google is doing right now, which this AI is quote unquote dreaming because they're feeding it all the information of, in the world's books that they're collecting for billions and millions of dollars. So that's just and isn't a it creepy? Isn't it creepy yep. how those dreams, how bizarre those dreams and the artwork it designs? I mean, I, I'm not going to ruin your show with other <laughs> yeah. people, but how bizarre yeah. <laughs> is it what it's producing? It's so bizarre, isn't it? Yes, it, it, it is. is. It is. But you know, there was another. There was another. Um, a scientist that was talking the other day. Two minutes, Rory. Because you brought it up, I, I know there's another scientist that was talking the other day, and one of the things that he said about the computing power that they have come across, and 
are doing it, I think it's uh, 10 to the uh, 4,000 power. So he was, he was saying, these computers, you can actually, like, hear a heartbeat. That's one. Yes. And he says, mm-hmm. it's like we're standing at the altar of an alien god. So I, I was yeah. shocked. I was, yeah. Wow. But that's another show. That's another show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so we just want to um, wrap it up by uh, first, um, we have a minute and 25 seconds. Tell everybody how to reach you guys and, um, you know, how to get the DVD and so we could wrap it up here. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, um, you can, uh, you can uh, buy the film. You can get the actual DVD and a bonus DVD at the website, detestablefilm.com. But for anybody out there who uh, just wants to uh, just to watch it once, or you can you can rent it for three days on the Vimeo site. So uh, we try to make it real affordable. It's uh, six dollars to rent it for three days on Vimeo. Uh, we also have a, a YouTube channel called Through the Black. Just look us up there. You can find us on Facebook Through the Black. You can find Jared Cressman or Thomas Dunn on Facebook, and uh, friend us. We'd love to be your friend. And we want to thank you guys so much for having us on tonight. It's been a blast, and we want to have you guys on our show sometime. Oh, sure, anytime, man. Anytime. Absolutely, and, um, absolutely. We enjoy we en- we highly enjoyed this conversation, and we hope yes. to do it again um, soon. So, um, everybody listening, go check out our YouTube. Don't let them burn. And remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is more important than anything else we talked about tonight. So, amen. Amen. Get the gospel out. All right, you guys have a good night. Bye-bye. God bless you. What's in store for your business this week at Staples? Doing business like a CEO while saving like a CFO. Staples has all the supplies you need to run your business like a boss at prices that'll make your bookkeeper smile. Now that is an achievement. Everything from markers and pens to 2019 desk calendars. And right now, a 12-pack of Sharpie markers and an 8-pack of Expo dry erase markers are only $4.99 each. At Staples, where there's a whole lot in store. Ends $119.19 in store only. With 25% off all new and up to 70% off previously leased furnishings, do you really need a better reason to party? We don't think so. Come visit our new Court Furniture Clearance Center with more than 9,000 square feet of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home and office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. Free food, prizes, and fun all weekend long at our Chandelier Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com.